Okay, excellent. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm glad all of you guys are here today. It's a, um, a nice sunny day here in Arizona again. So let me open in prayer and we can get into our study. Father Yehoah, we give you great thanks, Father. We thank you again for this day that we can come together and learn from your words to grow closer to you and become more in the likeness of your son, Yahshua. Father, we thank you for your love and mercy that you've shown to each and every one of us and be here today and, um, and just help us to understand your words in a deeper, deeper way. We thank you again for your love. Amen. All right, excellent. As usual, um, uh, if you have any um, comments, just raise your hand. Paul will make his way to you with the mic. Um, those online, I want to thank you for being part of, of this uh, book of John. We really appreciate it. If your heart feels led, we, you can go to livingmessiah.com, and we, we thank you for any, anything that you give towards this ministry. is greatly appreciated. So your comments and questions, um, be brief and on point, and let's not get ahead of the text. Um, I have a note in here that I want to share with you, which is kind of interesting because this goes along with it. Um, Joe came up to me on he he's studying and he's looking into it and he shared some notes that he had. And Joe, that was something that Kate was on my heart this week to mention to everyone again is, you know, reading and studying for yourself, even you know, even just this section we're at, that's your duty as well too. So I want you guys to. Um, and know that, you know, don't just take anything that comes what I'm talking about. We're doing this together, and you have to go and read and research and meditate on these things as well because, you know what, the Father will reveal things to you as well and just not those people who are up here, okay? So we are talking about the Samaritan woman at the well, uh, the conversation with Yeshua that he had there. And the well was uh, Jacob's well. Or remember Jacob's other name that his name got changed to? So you can actually think it's Israel's well as well. I think that's an interesting uh, idea there. So do not. Um, so I have this question for you. Maybe it's just rhetorical. Do you think the community well was important? I would say, yeah, it was pretty darn important. Do you think all the community guarded it? Yeah, I would say yes. You got a community well. So it was, I would say, all had a duty to keep the well, to, to guard it and keep it in a working order, right? To, uh, and to watch to make sure it didn't get contaminated because everybody in that community would suffer. So I believe that's why maybe the Father makes, uh, makes use of this idea of living water and this concept of being at a well too as an example for his people. And if that sounds familiar, familiar, it should, because we are to guard his commandments as a, just a single people and as a community. And I think that's no different than this community well, and the importance of that. So the importance of guarding this community well so it doesn't get def defiled in any way, so everyone can have water, 
That's the same concept, I think, exists for the commandments. We are to guard them and do them and be on watch for each other because that brings life to the community for God's people. And that's just a thought I had this week. So we're going to be talking about living water. We talked about it a little bit last week. Oh, Joe, did you have your hand up? I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, just reading down here, uh, like I said, share with you, there's two types of water. Mm-hmm. There's water. If you're thirsty, I'll give you a drink of water. And then uh, in verse 14, who said, whoever drink of the water will, that I will give him shall never thirst. That's the living water. And it can only come from God. The, the other water, whoever drink of this water, will thirst again. That's, the, that's not living water. It's just plain water. Yeah. But he is the fountain of living water. He, he very much is. Thank you, Joe. Because that goes into this concept that I believe the well represents or can represent here. And why in Jeremiah we, we read that they forsook, forsook him, okay, the fountain of living water, okay? which he's the embodiment of all those commandments. Uh, Jeremiah also in uh, 17 speaks of the, the same thing, forsaking him who's that living water. We are to guard to make sure we have our creator and his commandments, his ways in our lives, in our community. Zechariah speaks of the same thing that I shared with you. Um, Come to the living waters that will flow from Jerusalem where he sets his house, remember his house rules, because he rules from Jerusalem, that's where his Torah and his ways and his commandments are set. So you see, everything comes back to the Father and who he is. So, so you can uh, understand that, and oh, I also shared with you in Revelations as well, um, as well that the, the Lamb shall shepherd them and lead them by fountains of waters of life. So, this theme, as we'll see, actually, it's a beautiful theme that goes all through Scripture, okay? So, I had mentioned to you last week, the Samaritans, um, uh, I did double-check on this, the Samaritans Pentateuch, or the Samaritans Torah, their Bible, is only the first, four, uh, first five books of what we would say, no, recognize as the Hebrew Bible, or what we would recognize as the Torah, that's the entire, uh, uh, it seems to be the entire biblical canon that they go by, okay? So all these references that I just shared with you from Jeremiah and Zechariah and even Revelations, you know, this idea of living water and when he's talking to her, in my head I'm thinking, okay, they, they're, they're nice poetic things and I'm sure there's meaning there, but... There wasn't nothing for her to, how do I say it? Uh, the, uh, these references that were shared, um, they're from the prophets, okay? Which the Samaritan woman, her Bible did not really recognize, did not have them, okay? So I would think in some ways the way Messiah was speaking, um, and we'll see where he goes to here. But he also was speaking for uh, any and all people who do listen to him and who do recognize those prophets, like I showed you how uh, those ideas match up there as far as living water. So she would not have held any maybe great weight to about this idea of living water, but yet at the same time she did recognize something that that was there, 
Okay, so I'm not denying that either. So, so let's um, let's go and see what maybe she really did respond to. Something deep. Go ahead, Paul. If you have something, I'll wait till later. Okay. So let's see how uh, this conversation goes and see if that is the case with her Bible, how Messiah, what he said, and could connect with her, okay? And I think that's a very important thing. But first, uh, I had mentioned about the, the reckoning of the Roman time. I'm going to go back through that real quickly here. So in John 4, the meeting obviously took place at Jacob's well. I talked about the sixth hour is when this happened. So this, um, and uh, in some of my uh, research, I saw the sixth hour, the sixth in the evening, okay? Because if we're going by Roman time or a day of reckoning, this wouldn't have been in the afternoon, right? No, this would have been more in the evening time, okay? Around six o'clock, Okay. So it would be like six in the evening when, let's say, that this incident was happening, this conversation was happening, where it was towards the end of the day. And where I'm getting that is um, uh, a reference um, that we find in Genesis 24, where the evening is described as the time when the women go out to draw water. So I will share that with you. And this is uh, Genesis 24, where Abraham's oldest, uh, oldest servant goes out to find a wife for his promised child, Isaac, okay? And he made his camels knee down outside the city by the fountain of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. Then it goes on. See, I am standing there by the fountain of water, and the daughters of men of that city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young women to whom I say, please let, let down your jar to let me drink. And she says, drink and let, me, uh, and let me water your camels too. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And let, him know by this, uh, let me know by this that you have shown kindness to my master, which would be Abraham. It's kind of interesting, at least this particular, you know, you see how this servant's wording, let me know, direct me in some ways. Let this woman say, give me a drink of water. When we have Yeshua saying, would you like a drink of water? I just think it's kind of interesting, like the story's flipped there. But that's not the only time that we have something that happens at a well. Okay, I know it might seem like I'm veering off here a little bit, but this whole thing about a woman and Yeshua at a well. So here's other encounters. Okay, Jacob meets Rachel at a well. Now this happens to be around noontime. Okay, so there's no, um, uh, there's no that I'm saying a perfect time. There, it seems like. People go to the well whenever you need water. So it might not necessarily have to be only this time and, or only this time, okay? But in Genesis, we have uh, Jacob meets Rachel. And it came to be when uh, Jacob saw Rachel 
the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother. And Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth. That sounds kind of familiar too. But anyhow, from the, the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. I'm only pointing this out is like so far... We have Abraham and Isaac, two of our major patriarchs. Are m- something happens at the well, or no? Or Abraham, Isaac, Isaac and Jacob meet their their wife, where the promised child comes through at a well. Okay. What about Moses? Do you think Moses is any different? Actually, we just la- read it last week. If you're paying attention. Okay, the well is a very powerful metaphor, I believe, and that's why I, I think there's a lot more here. But just let's talk about Moses real quick, just to put him in with the whole uh, the whole deal that we're looking at. And Pharaoh heard of of this matter. This is when Moses um, killed the Egyptian and buried him. Okay, and he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Well, well, well. All right. And the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water, and they filled the troughs to, uh, uh, troughs to water their father's flock. But the shepherds came and drove them away. Then Moses stood up and came to their rescue and watered their flocks. So this is, I mean, we can't get away from this idea. This happened a lot at a well. Okay, so it's a very important thing. Yes, Joe. We have to remember this. This is all desert. Ex- yes. And this so the well is very important. That's their lifeblood, right there. It is. So no, and that, uh, and that's the way we need to think about it. It's not like they lived to uh, all this isn't next to a nice perfect river and aqueducts running everywhere. So. Again, this, uh, this is like somewhat of the background as well to this encounter that Yeshua has with the Samaritan woman, okay? So, so let's go on with that story. So we got some, some even a little bit more background behind the story itself, and maybe that will help us understand deeper things that are going on in the story, okay? To the woman... To the woman said to him, I'm sorry, the woman said to him, Master, you have no vessel, and the well is deep. From where then do you have living water? Because he just offered, it, offered her living water. Are you greater than our father Jacob, whom gave us this well and drank from it and his sons and his cattle? Yeshua answered and said to her, everyone drinking of this water shall thirst again. That was Joe pointing that out there. But whomever drinks of the water I give him shall certainly never thirst. And the water that I give give him shall become in him, not only never thirst, all right, become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Master, give me this water so that I do not thirst, nor come here to do this every day to draw from here. And Yeshua said to her, go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. 
Yeshua said to her, you have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five hus- uh, husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. So what I want to point out, I want to bring a different aspect. I want to put off the table this woman had many husbands from a frivolous lifestyle. Okay? Because we got to remember in biblical times, they are following the Torah. So that means for her, she can't divorce. Only the husband can call the divorce. Okay? Now, the other part that I want to point out, just because she's had five husbands doesn't mean that it, she was the one at fault. We can't just assume that. She may have had husbands that had died. Okay? So, when I, I guess, really, I, I've heard a lot of, the, I've seen a lot of teachings and heard, you know, that she lived a particular way, even that maybe she was some type of harlot of some sort, you know. I don't think that was really, the story does not say that. And why I, I'm going to present to you that that's not the case is we'll read here in a little bit, one of the, but one of the major things is she went and bought the rest of the community to come listen to this man, Right? So if she was a woman that didn't have much credibility, a sinful woman, would anyone really, honestly, you think, come and want to know what she said? So there must have been more to this woman's story. I, in some ways, maybe having five husbands, which is, we should say that, man, she's had a rough life. She had some bad luck. Okay, maybe some of them died. Maybe some of them, whatever reason, just wanted to divorce her. And now the one whom she's with is not her husband, but it's not necessarily her boyfriend. She could be living in a household under another man just to be a covering, that there has, there's not necessarily any um, intimacy uh, of contact going on, but a covering. And then, see, the other thing is, if this woman did have a hard life, these communities are small, and maybe everyone knew. Poor Martha. She's, you know, maybe that was the case. Joe? Yes, Yeshua in verse 16 said, Don't go call thy husband and come hither. Now, he knows. He knew, because he knows the beginning to the end. He knew that she did not have a husband, but it was a type of uh, neither am I going to condemn thee. It wasn't that. He was talking to her to bring her to the truth that he was the Messiah. Yes, he had a purpose. Why I do Messiah was having this conversation for a reason. So I am just putting that out there, this concept about this woman. Thank you, Joe. Uh, just as another avenue to think about. Okay, so go call your husband in some ways. If that is the case, Yeshua is really getting the core of something, something that's here. Okay, first of all, 
like Joe points out, yes, I think he knew a lot what was going on because of who he is, okay? He is sympathizing with her in some ways, okay? You know, first he's a Jew, and if we understand the relationship that went on with these two people group, that was very uncommon thing to happen for a Jewish man traveling through Samaria and even to speak and talk to this woman and then go the distance because this Samaritan woman who doesn't believe the way we do and have sympathized with her, maybe the rough life that, uh, that she's in. John. So maybe he asked her for, to go get her husband so he can go through him to have the property authority to do whatever he needs, you know, whatever is going to happen later on. Whatever, whatever it is. I'm just saying her protocol is she has a covering and so you need, at some level in a conversation, you need to say, I need to speak to someone who has authority in this regard. Yes, that's very true. That is another aspect that, that we have to take into account. That, you know, go get your husband, because there's more that I'm going to share with you, but I need him there as well. Okay? Thank you, John. So, so in the water that I... This idea of water, not only was he going to give this water um, so she wouldn't thirst ever again, but this water that Yeshua is talking about even does something interesting. It, it flows up into a person to everlasting life. Joe. This is the second time that he was confronted with a, uh, a sensitive situation without condemning. The other one besides this here was when the woman was taken in adultery mm -hmm. and he did not condemn her. He just said, go and sin no more. But uh, that also shows of his compassion, his understanding. He's not here to condemn, he's here to save. Yes. No, we, we will see. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, uh, because that story will happen a little bit later on here in John as well. And we'll go through that as well. And we see um, compassionate work in that story as well. So, but this, um, this idea of water into everlasting spring, you can actually write this down if you like. Psalms 36, verse 9 um, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Okay? So that's just something for you to go take a look at, uh, um, this whole concept that's still here with this idea of living water. So let's go on with the story as it starts to unfold even more here. So the woman said to him, Master, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But, but you people, him being a Jew, right, say that Jerusalem is the place where one needs to worship. Yeshua said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you shall neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship 
worship what we know because the, the deliverance is from Yahudim or from the Jews. Okay? So the conversation is interesting if you think about it at the least. It's going back and forth. Yeah, I want this water, but you seem like a prophet. Because why? Maybe like Joe pointed out, he knew something was that the husband who she has right now isn't her husband. So there's something that she was picking up that he wasn't just a mere passing Jew through the neighborhood. He, like her own words, was, seems to be a prophet. So why does, again, that's another thing. And maybe there's, uh, it's a question, why does she view him as a prophet? And maybe that's something else to meditate more on more, and maybe you get some more answers. Yeshua is using a common ground here, though. Because remember I said about the, what was accepted as the Torah or the Bible? So Yeshua is using common ground here, meeting on, and I think the one thing here I, I want to mention too, because as he goes into here, he makes this comment, and this is what I mean by meeting on common ground. He says, because deliverance is from the Jews. All right, he's making that comment, and it's based in a truth that she knows and knows is in her Bible. Okay. It's not coming from the prophets. It's coming from something that is established, that she is, has established as truth and how she worships. So there's a common ground starting to, that Messiah is coming down to. I'm saying that's in very important. And why that's important, because you've got to know who you're talking to. And this is, this is for me, and this is for all of us. Whenever you're out... You've got to know who you're talking to. And what I mean by that, when if you're going to witness to somebody, right, which is, I think is a great thing to do, make sure you know who you're talking about. Find some common ground. Maybe even get a relationship before you start throwing religious jargon at them that they do not know. Or they may disagree with right off the bat because you don't know who you're talking to. So I think we should follow Messiah how he did. He knows it in Samaritan. He knows what they believe. But he has still something to share. He's not going to deny who he is. Either will I. But you can still find common ground with someone on something. And it can be as simple. And you don't even have to use any religious talk. Just sympathizing with someone right behind you, Paul. You know? just sympathizing them with a rough time that they're going through. And you know maybe your co-worker or whatever is, doesn't believe in God, could care less or whatever, but they're running in a hard time. Just be compassionate and sympathize there. You know what I'm saying? It takes simple little things that Yeshua was doing. Yes, Brad. Um, I'm having trouble with verse 22, understanding that. Are you going to unpack that or... Or Which, I'm sorry. It's, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know because the deliverance is of Jerusalem. Yes. I'm not understanding what he's saying there. What I, I'm glad you're mentioning it because what I think is going on here is 
uh, I might have mentioned it, but I'm going to read, especially how Messiah is, uh, what he's talking about is about the mountain, okay? So he's, the Samaritans, with their, um, their Bible, they view where they're at right now. Mount Gerizim is like right there. So she's viewing, and the Samaritans view, that's the mountain that you're to worship the Almighty on. Okay, where the Jews, and how I see how our Bible is written, how we recognize it, it's Jerusalem. So that's the mountain where the temple should be. That should be the center of uh, religious activity and worship. Okay, that's to me what's going on when he makes you, you worship what you do not know, or you're doing something you do not know. Okay. Because with their Bible stopping where it stops, they don't get to the point where I'll share some verses where, where we see where that impacts and becomes, there is a division there. But still, Messiah is really artfully how he's talking about that. You know, he's not, con- I don't see him condemning. I don't see these are harsh words and a bullhorn. You know, you worthless Samaritan, you don't know the truth and you'll never know the truth. I don't see that that's what's going on. Okay, um, because it's already well known. Uh, Mark, you are correct. It's this this event is taking place at Shechem. Shechem is at the base of Mount Gerizim. When they came into the land, God told them to build an altar there on Mount Gerizim. I know the Bible says Mount Ebal, but they actually found the altar in an archaeological um, find at the base of Gerizim. We always wondered, why would God tell them to build an altar at the Mount of Cursing? Why wouldn't it be at the Mount of Blessing? Well, it all, come, it all boils down to this issue that the Judah, the tribe of Judah, had with the Northern Kingdom. The Northern Kingdom said, this mount, <clears throat> this mount in Gerizim is where God told us to, I mean, he put the whole Torah on the one rock and they limestoned it. And this is where we're to worship. Well, remember when Rehoboam and Jeroboam, whenever the kingdom was split, they, the northern kingdom set up new, new altars and new things at Mount, uh, up in Samaria. So this debate even was carrying on through Yeshua's time of where is the place to worship? And so that's what it all is, is talking about because when he says neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, this mountain he's referring to is Gerizim because they're at the foot of it at this well that, that's, it's, uh, that, that he's meeting with her. So it's, this debate was, which mountain? Because God did say to, that they could sacrifice on that mountain. Um, but then he said, when David built the temple, he said, this is the place I've chosen to place my name. So, Thank you, Mark. And Paul, I'll let you. Yeah, there, I'm, I'm looking for a couple of different scriptures. But um, in Deuteronomy, when uh, Moshe is talking and talking about prophetically what will happen, uh, he actually says, Naphtali uh, of Asher, uh, there's none like the Elohim of Desharon. Um, um, and it goes on and says, so Israel dwells in security, the fountain of Jacob secluded in a land of grain and new wine, his heavens also drop with do blessed are you O Israel who is like a people saved by Yahuwah who is a shield of your help so 
There are several places, one, where the scepter will not depart from uh, uh, Judah. Genesis 49.10. Okay, and so they would have been familiar with that. They would have been familiar with this scripture in terms of uh, in Deuteronomy. So all the prophecies that had to do with Judah in terms of where the deliverance would come, they would have understood that, I think, on a level better than most people today because it was in context, it was in Hebrew. So even though she was a Samaritan woman, when he says, you worship what you do not know, we worship what we know for de deliverance is of Yehuda or through that line of Judah. So she would have been aware in some context that that would have been deliverance coming through that line. Yes, and behind you. So that's what I think is going on here, Brad. I think that's the important uh, thing, really, what is being spoken here. Like what was said, the deliverance from Judah, the king from comes through the line of Judah. They know that. They understand that. Okay? Um, Genesis 49.10 says this, The scepter shall not turn aside from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until uh, Shiloh comes, and to him is the obedience of the people. Moses spoke of the one, um, Moses spoke of this, okay? And this is in a blessing. So what Messiah is doing, I think, is beautiful. And if you didn't catch it already, he's going to reveal the Messiah through the five books of Moses. He doesn't need the prophets. He doesn't need anybody else. He can talk to her about the Mashiach, which she does understand them about the Mashiach, from the five books that was written. And I think we actually need to have uh, that type of understanding as well. Go ahead, Mark. I just failed to also mention when he says the hour is coming when you shall neither worship on this mountain or in Jerusalem. So when the destruction happened for 2,000 years, have there been worship at either place? No. So the hour came of the destruction when it wasn't going to be either place. We were going to be worshiping him in our hearts from our lips. That's where we were going to be worshiping him for until he comes back. So what we do see... so. What she's aware of, she's aware of Moses. They uphold Moses, who he is. Moses spoke of the one that would rise among his brothers, okay? Um, and what was pointed out uh, as well, for, for us, we can see the, the prophets in places, uh, the place where he placed his name. That is Jerusalem. We see that over and over and over again. Isaiah, let me see, I have this Isaiah. Um, even the prophets speak of this, okay? And granted, this is for us. This is why Messiah is saying this. He's already made the comment, but in some ways you can say, maybe you ought to check out the prophets too while you're at it in some ways. So Isaiah 2, 3, and many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of Yahuwah, the house of the Elohim, Elohim of Jacob, and let him teach us his ways and let us walk in his paths. For out of Zion, or Zion, Jerusalem, comes forth the Torah, the word of Yahuwah from Jerusalem. So that's what Messiah is conveying back to her. You know, you're kind of... We worship really what we know. I'm saying, you know, he's saying, politely. She's the one that brought it up, by the way. You know, 
So he's coming back. No, actually, there's a little bit more to that story. If you want to jump from living water to this, no, it's Jerusalem. And, you know, because remember what they said, that scepter's not going to be taken from there. The lawgiver comes from there. So there's a lot that's packed behind there. Zechariah 2 uh, speaks of that mountain. Um, that yeah, uh, And I won't get into that. John. So the question I would ask is, so if it's not from Judah, who is it from? Ephraim? How can anybody from Ephraim or any of the other northern tribes have any authority to do anything, at least as it relates to God? They've gotten cut off. They've been given a bill of divorce. Mm -hmm. So the only one left is someone from the house of Judah or the tribe of Judah, depending on whatever you want to say. And, and you're right. The, the connection to Genesis is a powerful one. He's identified, therefore, he's, the implication is defining him. He's, he's suggesting that he is Shiloh. He is the one that's, that, uh, that they're talking about there. So, no, yeah. And I think even what you said uh, take her situation, being Samarita, a Samaritan woman, knowing of what happened with the tribes, and she recognizes, ultimately, you're cut out of that. Yeah, I mean, so you better. Not. Your hope is in Judah. Your deliverance is coming from Judah. Right. You so, should. That should be a fundamental thing that they would know. The. It seems to me, and this is what Christianity has a hard time with. Well, what What does saved mean? To whom does it apply? When, what are the consequences, and, and what are the, uh, for what purpose? Mm -hmm. If I identify as the house of Israel, I identify as the one who my ancestors got at a bill of divorce. I need to recognize that problem. I need to be saved from that judgment. That's the problem for me, not just, you know, I, I'm, I, I, I want to be cynical here, but I, I just don't, I need more concrete than I'm just saved. Jesus saved me. What does that mean? Yes. Thank you, John. And um, uh, give me one second, and I'll get right to you, Dad. I do want to read Zechariah 10, because uh, I think it's important, because how, how Yeshua is unveiling himself to this woman, and how he's presenting that he is this one, okay? He is this one Messiah that she's going to ask about. Zechariah 2, 10 says this, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of uh, Zion, for look, I am coming, and I shall dwell in the midst, in your midst, declares Yahweh, and, uh, and the many nations shall be joined to Yahweh in, the, in, that, in that day, and they shall become my people, and I shall dwell in their midst, and you shall know that Yahweh of hosts has sent me to you. Is this kind of happening right here at the well? And Yahweh shall inherit Judah, his portion in the set-apart land, and he shall again choose Jerusalem. So it's still, regardless however you want to think, it still comes back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is important right now, today. Dad. Sorry, Dad. Uh, I, I think everybody's getting a little, little bit close to this, so I'm going to go ahead and go with it. But the hour comes and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such, for such does the Father seek his worshipers. Yahweh is spirit, 
and they that uh, worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, I, know, I know I'm a little bit ahead of that, but that's what everybody's beating around the bush to. Yeah, that's a very important, thank you, Dad, because that's a very important statement. I think that's coming up uh, uh, next here. Yep. Joe, I'll let you go, and then we can continue on here. It's really, it's really in the context. It's really uh, verse 18 where he is, uh, Hushua is talking to her about her husbands. Then a woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Then she goes on the defensive. She wants to argue with him. Our father worship in this mountain. And you say that in Jerusalem is where men ought to worship. Then I was looking at back here in Deuteronomy 12, 11, when God says, then there shall be a place with God, with, uh, uh, then there shall be a place which the Lord your God shall choose to cause his name to dwell there, meaning Jerusalem. Hither shall he bring all that I commanded you, the burnt offerings, your sacrifice, so on and so forth. But anyway, that's, it's not in the mountains. It's in Jerusalem. That's the place that God is talking about. Yes. Thank you, Joe. So then it goes on here in the text. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. He already established the truth is Jerusalem, okay? So I'd like to say you can't just all of a sudden just, you can do whatever you want. Eventually, it comes back to Jerusalem because Messiah has already established that as truth. So when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father also does seek such to worship him. Elohim is spirit, and those who worship him need to worship him in spirit and in truth. And it's interesting, this spirit and truth. The beginning of Book of John, this is why I wanted to go over those terms that was going on, because they carry through all the way through Scripture. So the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah, how does she know about the Messiah? She only has the five books of Moses. Right? But she's quite aware that one is to come, right? I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called anointed. When that one comes, he shall announce to us all. Yeshua said to her, this is awesome. Check this out. Seriously, Yeshua said to her, I am who am, I am whom speaking to you am he. That is an awesome statement. I think that's just a, I'm the one that you're talking about. I'm right here, right now. So the hour is coming. And I would suggest how Messiah is speaking. The hour is coming and now is. The hour is coming and is always was. That's a hint to what Mark's going to be talking about. So Messiah is saying the hour is now. The hour was before, it's now, right now, and it will be again, in a sense, okay? So, let me see, we got maybe two minutes, the, uh, the spirit of truth. Wouldn't, is that a wrong way to flip 
what's what's being said here worship in worship in uh what's to say spirit worship the father in spirit and truth could we i don't know i don't want to change anything but isn't that the spirit of truth do it in the spirit of truth you know but it's interesting We'll look at what she, where she's starting to understand things. Because the Messiah thing came out, what they were talking about. Because she didn't, she didn't raise up and said, oh, no, you're wrong. She like maybe thought about it and was thinking, hmm, man, I think this prophet guy is right. That is true. That's what it says. Mark, and then we'll close. We got two comments. Okay. So again, we're connecting in thoughts. Uh, God's got us meshing again. So this last verse here of 26, in the English, it has the I and the am separated by who I'm speaking to you, but that's not the way it is in the Greek. The I and the am are together. And that's important because this is the phrase in our Torah portion today that when Moshe asks, they're going to ask me who sent me, this is the response that he gives to Moshe to tell them, this is who it is that's sending you. Mm-hmm. She knows that phrase. Yes, the Samaritans quite know aware it. Of it. The, yeah. Ju- the, all of Judea knows it. They all know that phrase. And so when he says in Hebrew, uh, Ea Isher, she knows who it, what's being said, what he's saying here. He's not just saying, you know, I am. He's using a phrase that is specific to and that's what he's declaring to her. That's awesome. So we'll take Ward, and then we'll have to close and come back next week. Building on what Mark just said, we learn from patterns of evidence on Moses that the Hebrews were probably the most educated, literate people in the Middle East. They had, in addition to the books you mentioned, they had a whole library of literature called Second Temple Literature. Much of it was very messianic. And that was part of the reason this was so well known through the whole area, is because of the, their uh, literacy, literacy and the, this wealth of books that they had. Yes, thank you, Ford. So what I want to do, I have to close, but next week... We're going to just talk about spirit and truth because this plays a part in this whole story. And then we'll finish off this story of the Samaritan woman and maybe think back as like on the things that happened and maybe bring some more out. So, Father Yehovah, we give you great thanks. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your, your kindness and your strength and your spirit empowering us to overcome all things. We thank you again for your words that are true, Father. Be with us today, and may it be pleasing to you. We thank you again for your love. Amen. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Thanks for coming out. Those online, thanks for hanging with us, and we'll see you next week. Shabbat shalom.